have your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to be preaching and teaching from 1 Kings chapter 19 in just a moment. So you can turn in that passage and I will be there beginning in verse 15 in just a few moments. But let me just say thank you if you have been faithful, if you have been with us and stayed connected during the time of the pandemic and continued to financially support EHC. As you know, bills don't stop just simply because there is a financial uh, issue or a, a problem with a global pandemic or something like that. And so if you have continued to remain faithful, we thank you for that. We encourage you to continue to do that. You can do that via text and you can also do that via ehctx.org and give in that way. Or if you just like to send a good old-fashioned check in the mail, we will receive that at our P.O. Box, uh, P.O. Box 156. And I believe some of that information is up on the screen, and it definitely is available through our website. So let's have a word of prayer and ask that God's blessings would be on the financial gifts as we continue to support his kingdom work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord, the way that you have walked with us and seen us through, the way that you have watched over us and provided for our needs in the past. And God, it is a pleasure and an honor to be a part of your kingdom work. And so, Lord, as we give back to you a part of what you have given to us, Lord, we claim and remember at all times that there is no way that we can outgive God, that you can truly be blessing us constantly. And Lord, we could never turn around and give back to you what you have given to us. And so we thank you for this. We praise you for this. And as we honor you in our uh, financial gifts, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and your kingdom might be furthered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have today a message that is back to Elijah. If you were here last week, if you were involved last week, you know that I took a break. I, I just kind of called an audible and I said, hey, we're not going to do our normal uh, Elijah because I wanted to make sure that everybody was still on the same page. I know last weekend was a Labor Day weekend. I don't know. Did, it, did you guys have a good time on Labor Day weekend? Anybody in here have a good time on Labor Day? It was just sleeping in for some of you and that was great. I know. Uh, anybody do anything here? Did, maybe you could put it in the comments if you've got something that you did. Did somebody do something special? I won't call you or out or anything, but maybe give me a thumbs up if y'all did something special. Any of y'all? Oh, all right. Very good. So, oh, you did something. Very good. So we had a few folks that were doing something special during Labor Day. We want to encourage you uh, to make sure that you're staying up and staying along with Elijah and you can always go back and re-watch or re-listen to the podcast if you'd like. But today we're talking about the sixth installment in the Elijah teaching series that we have. And it's up here on the screen. You can see Elijah bold and broken. And as we talk a little bit about that today, I want to talk about passing the torch and what that looks like. And so I know that this is something that applies to you. If you have a child, you want to pass along your values. If you have a, a grandchild or a nephew or a niece, um, if you have people that are in your life that are maybe a little younger than you, uh, and you just want to see them get through a difficult time, you know that you want to pass the torch, so to speak, to them. And we've been talking about this, and this is definitely what we're going to be talking about today in September 13th, part six, passing the torch. I'll also be referring back a little bit to what we talked about on August 30th. And I want to encourage you, if you are a person that is struggling, especially in the midst of the pandemic and being alone and dealing with some of the loneliness and some of the problems that come along with that, we do do have a, a, a message that I think would be very encouraging to you. So I encourage you to go back, rewatch from August 30th, part five of the Elijah series. And it talks about how there was a depression that Elijah had to go through and some dark days. We've been talking about this from the Great Live series, in particular from Chuck Swindoll. You can definitely look at any of these books that you'd like to read and go a little deeper on all different kinds of Bible characters. But if you remember, I spoke a little bit about this during the message from that part five. I don't want to re, uh, kind of revisit the idea of what T.D. Jakes had said about the fact that isolation is the last step before destruction. And so if you hear your mouth saying things like, no one loves me or no one understands me 
or no one cares about me. If you start to hear these words coming from your mouth, or even if you are at a place where you begin to think these thoughts, you probably need to pay special attention to what's going on in your life. Because the truth of the matter is, is when you feel isolated, when I feel isolated, it can be a dangerous place for us spiritually as well as emotionally. And that can turn into something that even becomes uh, a problem with staying um, in the right frame of mind that keeps you from self-harm and things of that nature. We talked a lot about that. And I even kind of shared a quote that I found to be very, very enlightening. But this is something that you might have heard before. What is depression like? He whispered. And then the person answers, says, it's like drowning, except for you can see everyone around you is still breathing. Well, here is what I believe. As we look to pass the torch, as we look to kind of begin to pour our lives into someone else that is close with us, we can see that there are friendships and people around to make sure that we are not isolated. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we're not careful, we can fall into a mindset that puts us in a dangerous position, whether that's spiritually or any of the other areas that I just mentioned. You go back and look at Elijah's dark demons that he had to face down that we talked a little bit about. And I want us to look back at those four that I called attention to. And as we look at those four, I want to make sure that you grasp something. All four of these can be improved and helped and mitigated by having a friend that is right there next to you. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. But there are four different dark demons that I talked about that Elijah had to face down. One was exhaustion, whether it's physical or emotional exhaustion. You know, knowing that a friend is there to help carry the load helps you a lot. Isolation. Sometimes we are self-inflicting and very inaccurate in the fact that nobody loves us or nobody cares about us. And so we got to be very careful that we hear pretty clearly when a friend is there to call out to us and say, no, 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 it's not that you're all alone. It's that you feel alone, but there's a difference between being alone and feeling alone. And so we got to be very careful careful that we know that. Also, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience. Maybe you guys here in the house today. Have any of y'all ever dealt with just fear because you know no one else was around? Okay, now I'm going to admit to y'all, go ahead and turn the camera off because I don't want this to go out via the whole interweb, right? So the truth of the matter is, is that I'm good with being the protector for my family. I don't know what it is about being by myself that I don't like. I'm good with like being the guy that's got to stand there and protect my, my girls from all the danger out there. But the minute that it's just me by, by myself, I get weird about that. I'm like, man, is there a pet or something that I could have like here to talk to or something? This isolation thing, we're not built for isolation and it causes fear to rise in us. Or even here, you deal with, okay, turn the camera back on. All right, here we go. You're dealing with anger. Sometimes you just need somebody to speak some truth into your life that gets you beyond the place where you're angry about stuff that probably doesn't need to consume you and get a hold of your life in the way that it does. And so the truth of the matter is, is that in Elijah's life, he goes to the place where he's all alone and isolated and God speaks to him. And this is where God speaks to him. And here's what he says from first Kings chapter 19. And I want to read that. And so if you guys are here in the house today, could you guys please stand forward with me? Go ahead and stand up in honor of God's word. As we read from first Kings chapter 19, I'm going to be begin in verse 15 and 16, then jump down to the last few verses, and then we'll say our scripture declaration together in just a moment. So here it is from 1 Kings 19. The Lord is speaking to Elijah, and he's saying to Elijah, hey, don't worry. You're not the only one. There's a lot of people. There's literally thousands of people who have not bowed their knee uh, to worship Baal. You are not alone. And so as he speaks to him about these things, he also gives him a to-do list. And this is important. In the midst of this difficult time that Elijah has, he gets a to-do list from God. And one of the very most important things that he has on that list is to go and find a friend and a young man, a younger prophet that he can mentor. So beginning in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, Elijah, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, the king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, 
son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. You see the passing of the torch is God's idea. And that's important to note. So as we look at this here, Elijah went down from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's about 24 uh, head of cattle, basically. And he himself was driving that 12th pair. And then Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. And Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And he says, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And so Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to all the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Let's say our scripture declaration together today. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, as we continue to look into your word and continue to go a little deeper into the life of Elijah, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds so that we would be ready to hear the lessons that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so very quickly as we continue, it's very important that we notice that God connects Elijah and Elisha together. And you can see that here. Um, and as we put this up, you can see from the scriptures themselves how God connects Elijah and Elisha. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. And then he goes on and he tells him all the different things. But then he says, and anoint Elisha basically to succeed you as prophet. This is very important. The prophet and the, the office of prophet does not end because you are done, Elijah. There is another man that is going to come and do the job for you and with you for a little while. As best we can tell, Bible scholars say that for about six years, Elijah and Elisha served side by side as prophets. He mentored him. He passed the torch, spiritually speaking, to him. And Elisha does incredible and amazing things. As a matter of fact, some people say, that the number of miracles that Elisha performs in his ministry is almost double those that are performed by Elijah. It's not a prophet competition or anything, don't get me wrong, but he did the job and he did a good job as Elijah had prepared him to do. Don't ever forget what Cicero said, and this is a quote back in the day, and it's, you've probably even heard some of this online. When it talks about friendship, this is what Cicero said. He says, basically, if you kind of boil it down, he says, friendship doubles our joy and divides our grief. That's the short version. That's the Twitter version of what Cicero said. But you can see and grasp what he's saying. When you are out there enjoying something, it is twice as enjoyable when we turn and we have a friend to share it with. I know for me personally, whenever we were traveling with my kids or even when it's just Shelly and I, we have some experience. It is a beautiful thing to see it through your kids' eyes. And then you watch them and the look of amazement and enjoyment on their face says something beautiful to you. And it is part of the biggest joy of being a parent to see and to teach a child to do something brand new for the very first time. It is basically, it's priceless. I, I mean, I can't tell you the joy that I gained from seeing my own kids growing up and doing things that we've taught them and ha having the values that we taught and passed along to them. It is just so valuable to me. And so it is doubling the joy. But I also know that a friend is a person that when you are at your lowest point, you can reach out to them and say, hey, man, I'm struggling and I need somebody to kind of bear this burden with me. And they are the person, if they are a true friend, they are the person that helps you to uh, stand up against that load that feels like it's too much to bear. Now, I'm going to do something here, and I'm going to take kind of a planned detour about the things having to do with our modern world. And I want to just talk a little bit about something that you and I need to be very, very clear about. I'm not here to, to, to bang on social media, and if social media is a part of your life, that's not a big deal. That's not a problem. 
But the problem that we can run into is when we allow social media to be something that is really taking the place of friendship and actual connection with actual people. Um, so we got to be very careful that we don't do that and we don't allow those things like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, or as all the kids call it, the gram, right? Uh, so <laughs> I know I'm trying so hard. Um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all these different things and these different ways to stay connected, but it's all virtual. And the truth of the matter is, is that you and I, we know here in 2020, there are a lot of things that we've got to do virtually. Some of you are online today because you have to be here virtually. You can't necessarily be here in person. Um, and so we've got to be very careful that we don't think that it's the same thing. And let me just say this. The truth of the matter is, is that they have algorithms and they've figured out what makes the human brain chemistry set off and fire and then release the endorphins and stuff. For example, and for instance, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but do you know that they have figured out all the brain chemistry that actually makes it harder and harder and harder for you and I to do without things online? And it's also something that you've seen in the casino. So for example... I don't know if you guys have ever seen these. You know, these are called slot machines, right? So I know some of you know what these are. Some of you are very intimately acquainted with exactly what these are, right? So there's no judgment, but I'm here to tell you something. They figured out that the best thing that they can do is not allow you to win. It's for you to almost win, this is true. This is true. You can read the book Habits about how there are people that become addicted to gambling, not because of the wins, but because of the near misses that they have. They're just that close to winning. And so I think if I do it one more time, I'll do it and I'll actually win this time. And they hit another near miss and it goes on and on and on. And they are playing us like lab rats. If we're not careful, we're feeding right into the things that they have figured out with our chemistry. We got to be very careful that we value what is valuable, not what is easy or what gives us that kind of quick fix. It's just the maturity level for all of us that we have to say, you know what? I am about important things, not things that make me feel great about myself. Because the truth of the matter is, is this is just like candy for a kid. Man, you can give candy to a kid and they are rolling and they are doing great until they crash, right? I mean, you know what this is about. And you and I have probably had the exact same experience. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are things that last and things that are valuable. And then there are things that are easy and make us feel this hit of endorphin in our brain chemistry, but they are not something that actually are valuable. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that they have showed that the more that you are on social media, the more apt you are to be depressed about your life. And so this is a great tool to stay connected, but it should never become your master. You've got to be very careful. Whenever God sends Elijah out, he sends him out to find a true friend, not somebody who will just be there when it is easy or be someone who is kind of a substitute that he doesn't need. I've talked a lot about this. If you want to go a little deeper about how you and I, and especially young people, and I'm just going to say this, the truth of the matter is, is that the very young um, the very young teenagers dealing with those things via social media, it can be dangerous for them and the way that their brain chemistry is wired. The truth of the matter is, is that anxiety has actually multiplied five times for that generation that has now become uh, when social media was ubiquitous. If you don't know what I mean, it means basically anytime they wanted social media, it was always there and available to them. It has become very dangerous and anxiety has multiplied five times over all generations before because of the way that they have had their brain chemistry and their brain wiring rewired because of the things that are going on via social media. I want you to check out this podcast. If you're interested in going deeper, or if you're worried about that, you can definitely check out this podcast. It is really interesting. It's called The Power of a Digital Detox. And I believe um, it is, if you'll just search Lewis Howes, uh, and you can kind of go along. It is a really, really interesting podcast. All right, so I told you I was gonna take that detour. 
Let me just go a little further and a little deeper. In Proverbs, the Bible tells us what a true friend looks like and what a true friend is. It says, Elisha set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. He was there with him. He wasn't somebody who was just kind of there and then gone. He was there with him constantly. And then Proverbs chapter 27 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you have a friend who never tells you that you're going down the wrong path or that you're out of, uh, you know, kind of the, the right frame of mind, or if you're going down a path that you ought not go down, you don't have a true friend. You've got a friend that is there for the light times and the easy times, but not for the most important ones. And you and I need somebody who is there all the time. As, fa- as a matter of fact, Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Let me just keep going very quickly. And I want to just say this, just make sure that you understand all of this in light of passing the torch. If you cannot connect with people, if you cannot get together with them and make a deep connection, then you will never be able to share your values. We've talked about this. One of the big ideas that I've shared over and over again is you can influence people from afar, but you can only make an impact when you are up close. And so the truth is, if you're not connected, with people and speaking into their life, it won't make a difference in the long run. Very quickly, I want to talk about the Psychology Today article that I ran across. And this is this right here, face-to-face relating in a changed world. In other words, from May 2020, the issue there of how we bond and how we become close. When New York City real estate broker Jonathan Tutel had to stop shaking hands with clients and business associates, he quickly learned how jarring it was for everyone involved. You instinctively go in for the handshake or maybe even a bro hug, he says, and you could almost see both parties stopping themselves midway into it. How many of you guys have had that experience, right? You're like, you're going to go in and you're going to give somebody and you're like, no, 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 you can't do that. So you can see both parties stopping themselves and the handshake is the opening of a conversation. So you just stare at each other and say, we're not going to touch. It's awkward even though it was the right thing to do. Tattel was interested to see how quickly the business community adapted to elbow bumping because it was better than nothing, he says. Doing nothing just felt weird. How many of you guys have given an elbow bump to somebody? Let me see your hands. Come on, here in the house, have you all given an elbow bump before? All right, well, you never did that before March. Can I get an amen, right? You never did it before March. Well, why are we doing that? Because you and I are wired for connection. The adoption of the elbow bump speaks to how strongly our bodies yearn to connect. Touching triggers endorphins in our minds and in our body and brain chemistry. The outside light contact of a handshake or a back slap. But we restrict our stroking and cuddling to a limited few. And I would say if you're married, you definitely need to restrict your stroking and cuddling to a limited few, right? Don't be giving nobody hugs right now that you don't need to be hugging, right? Okay, so it goes on and he says, singing is one of the most effective ways that we bond. It turns complete strangers into best buddies after an hour of an informal choir. Or I would say you can do five minutes of karaoke and do and accomplish the same exact thing, right? Amen? I mean, nothing like laughing at somebody in karaoke to make you feel close, right? So as you go on, it says, we've learned recently, painfully at times, how much we miss it when we can't see each other face to face, we've realized how lonely it feels not to hug a friend, how easily misunderstandings assert themselves when coworkers aren't in the same room. We've developed a visceral comprehension of what neuroscientists have long known. No matter how sophisticated our algorithms on computers become, they never match the intricately fine-tuned communication system of our bodies and our brains. Here's what he's saying. This is all psychology today. This is not me. This is not scripture. This is not Christianity today. It's psychology today. It means that we are built to connect with each other. And let me just say, over the next few weeks, we're going to be opening the church back up and encouraging people to 
basically come back and be a part of services here in person. I understand for up to you know this six or seven month period, we've been waiting for things to get back and hopefully get a little closer to normal. We're going to be having everyone come with a mask that they're wearing. We'll provide you the details and make sure that we're all on the same page. But here's what I know, it is time. It's just time because things are getting back to normal. If you've been out, you know that people are going to eat. They're going to do shopping. They're doing all different kinds of things. It's time for us to get back together as a church body. We're going to do it in a safe and socially distanced way, but we're going to encourage us to once again come back to God's house because you can't replicate it. As much as you can disseminate information, it can't be the same than being a part of God's people in God's house and we'll give you more information about that. All right, so let's keep going here as we talk about friendship. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 and 20, let's talk about how Elijah passes the torch to Elisha. So Elijah went on from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving that 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he says, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Let me just kind of clarify exactly what's going on here. This is a figurative way of Elijah saying to Elisha, I want you to come and be a person who's with me. It's, it's almost the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus speaking to the disciples and saying, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men, right? And so as you talk about this, this is what's going on. But Elijah is not going to grab him and say, you have to come because God told me you are the guy who is going to be my, men, you know, my mentee. No, no. He just says, hey, what have I done to you? The truth of the matter is, is that you know, in this particular case, Elijah is not somebody who's grabbing him and saying, this is your now job that you have to come and follow me. He's saying, this is God's opportunity, but you have to make the decision. You have to decide this is for you. If it's not for you, I can't make you stay. But when he throws his cloak around Elisha, he immediately responds and he basically is ready to pass the torch. And this is important. As we look at Elisha and Elijah and as they connect, Elijah passes that torch to Elisha. We've already talked a little bit, but let's be very clear about something to learn real quickly. Something to learn, number one, being intentional about mentoring others multiplies your own perception of your worth of your work. It binds you to others in a deeper way, and it is a Christ-like act. If you're not pouring your life into someone else, then you don't have to worry about you. You can be very self-contained. But as you begin to think about what does this matter for someone else, who is following me and who is following in my footsteps, who's going to do what I've shown them how to do? If you don't think about those things, what you do does not matter. But we are called to be Christ-like in our actions. And as Christ called his disciples, he said, come and follow me. Follow in my footsteps and do what I've done. And this is how we become more Christ-like. We don't turn around and say, if you'll pay me money, I'll do these things for you. I'll teach you how to do this if you will make it worth my time and my while. But no, instead, we just simply say, there are things that God has given me and taught me. And I want to make sure that you have these same things as well. This is passing the torch. And this is the big idea that we come to. There's nothing that impacts our own world like people who share our life and we are working together with them for eternal purposes. You want your life to suddenly begin to take on meaning and have purpose. This is what you do. You look around and you say, how can I be an influence on other people for the good of God's kingdom? You begin to pour your life. You begin to pass the torch and you get serious and you get intentional about that. And you can see big differences. And let me just say this very quickly. If you haven't taken up this responsibility with your own family and your own household, you have time. I'm telling you, I used to serve as a hospice chaplain who people would get the, the notice and the word that they literally had a week or two sometimes to deal with the passing of a person that they had basically written out of their life. 
And I've seen healing come. It didn't heal every wound, but there was healing that came even when there was just no, no more than just days available to pass a torch along. And I encourage you, no matter what your situation, you have an opportunity. You had best take advantage of it or you'll be sad and frustrated and uh, definitely discouraged that you did not. And it is the most important thing that you can do with your life. Very quickly, I want you to kind of get a sense of Elisha. He had that cloak thrown around him. And Elijah said, I'm not demanding that you come. And Elisha says, no, 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 no. I'm going to say goodbye to my mom and my dad, but then I'm coming with you. And I want to point out that he's burning bridges. I don't know if you grasp this or not, but then when he talks about it, he took his yoke and go back here. Elisha left him and then went back to Elijah or to his family, excuse me. Then he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Here's what's going on. He goes back and there are 24 oxen and there are yokes that are keeping those oxen together. In the old days, they would have a yoke that would have one single ring connected to a, uh, to a rope and a plow. And they would put the two oxen in that yoke on both sides pulling with that ring pulling the plow along. It's pretty clear that in Elisha's case, he was leaving something important behind. He killed all of his cattle and he killed them and then he cooked them at a big feast and party near his hometown because he basically took the yokes that were kind of used as farming implements and he chopped them up for firewood and then he slaughtered and killed the cows that he was using to earn his living. I don't know if you guys know this story and you've heard about it, but this is kind of something that happens for military captains sometimes. I don't know if you guys know who this is. Some of you, you may. This is a picture of Hernan Cortez who basically conquered in Central America for the, the nation of Spain. Now, I'm not saying is good or bad or anything like that. I'm not getting into all of that. But here's what I will tell you. When Hernan Cortez landed on the shores of Mexico, if you know the story, what he did was he unloaded everything that was in the ships, got them all on land, and then he burned every ship. And he told his men, we have to fight and conquer or we will die. This is it. These are our two options. There's no more ships to jump back onto and sail back home. We have come here. We have landed here. This is where we are. The ships have been burned. Now it is our time. We will conquer or we will die. In a lot of ways, what's going on with Elisha he goes back and he kills all the oxen and he even cuts up the plows and the yokes and all of that stuff. He's burning bridges and burning the ships and he's saying, I'm all in and I will not turn around and go back. Don't miss it. When Elisha destroys the oxen and the equipment he uses, he basically burns the ships for choosing to go back to his old, likely fairly successful life. Here's what I mean. He probably was among the richer and the wealthier people because most people don't have one yoke of oxen, much less 12 as he had, as the Bible says. And so he probably had a fairly successful life to go back to, but he was not going to do that. It is important that we grasp this. And let me just make sure that you know, and spoiler alert, Elijah actually gets taken up into heaven he gets taken up into heaven and doesn't even taste death. That's the last verse uh, and the last section that we'll be talking about. But as you begin to talk about Elijah being taken up into heaven, guess who's there? That picture there is the picture of Elijah going in the chariot of fire and Elisha waiting right there at his feet. Here's this other something to learn, number two. When Elijah is taken up in that chariot of fire into God's presence, Elisha was with him. And the Bible tells us that Elijah uh, had gone to three different places and Elijah had Elisha by his side the entire time. He was more than just a mentor. He went with him in every way possible. More than a mentor, as you see here in this scripture that's on this next slide. Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. 
But Elisha said, no, no, no. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. What you and I don't grasp here is the truth is there is something else to not miss. It is this. The last day of Elijah's earthly life, he and Elisha spent their entire day visiting two separate schools of the prophets in the towns of Bethel and in Jericho, and then on into Jordan where he was taken up in that chariot of fire. So stop for a second. The last day of his life, what is Elijah doing? He is passing the torch not only to Elisha, but also to the school of the prophets where there's 50 young men that are studying to be a prophet, to be a prophet of God. And they want to hear from Elijah. And in the very last moments, in the last hours of his life, He's still pouring into other people and making a difference and making an impact that will outlive him. Now, let me just say something very quickly and very clearly. A lot of us are very, very worried about trying to leave an inheritance to our kids. We want them to have a house or we want them to have money. We want them to have certain things and education that's paid for before we leave this earth. But I'm going to tell you something. Most of us need to get a lot more serious about leaving a spiritual inheritance instead of a financial one. I'm not against leaving a financial one. That is definitely a good thing, and the Bible even encourages it. But if you only can leave a spiritual inheritance or a financial one, I'm going to tell you that the truth is is that if you will leave a spiritual inheritance, it will make a bigger impact in the long run than the financial one that most normal people like us make, okay? And so the truth of the matter is, is is that your kids need to hear from you what is important. If they don't hear from you, who knows what they're going to receive? Who knows what they're going to assume? The truth is, is that we need to be serious and intentional about passing the torch to those kids and those young people and the people that are in our circle of influence that aren't even necessarily related to us. And let me just tell you, it's super easy to do. You can train anyone, and I'm moving very quickly here and just about ready to end. You can train anyone real easily. Here's all you have to do. Here's the four steps of training anyone to do anything. I do the job. (laughs) That's the first step. Second step, I do the job while you observe what I'm doing. Here's the third step. You do the job while I observe what you do and kind of help and train you and kind of guide you along. And then the fourth wing, the fourth step and the fourth thing is you do the job. That's it. That's how you train anyone to do anything. It's just that simple and easy. Here's four things that you can do to make sure that when you're passing the torch, it's something that they will gain. Number A. You get close. I've already talked about how you can impact someone uh, up close, but influence from afar. And so there's a big difference. Also, you also have to have humility. If you're a person who wants to learn from someone, you have to have the humility to ask, will you teach me? Will you train me? Help me to understand to do what you do and how you've done what you've done. It is, (laughs) there's knowledge out there. You know what I figured out? I figured out that most people actually want to help other people. They just don't know who it is that they need to be pouring into. If you are a person who doesn't know something, all you have to do is humbly ask, probably by about the second or third or fourth person. I'd say at least by the fifth or sixth person, you'll find somebody who doesn't want a dime from you, but is willing to give you their time and their expertise if you will listen and act on it. It's just simply that easy. That's how you can pass the torch from either side. So get close. The second one here is you get clear. If you're a person who's trying to pass along to your nephews, your nieces, your kids, your grandkids, and you want them to know what's going on in your spiritual life and pass that torch, you got to drill down on the core values. Don't have, hey, here's a list of 32 things that I think you should try to do. Man, drill it down to where it's two or three or four things that you constantly speak about to them so they can really know what's going on. The third thing is, is get repetitive. Being repetitive seems difficult and kind of counterintuitive. I don't want to say the same thing over and over. Well, here's the truth. Repetition is the key to learning. I don't know if you guys know this, but repetition is actually the key to learning. I don't know if you are aware about how our brains are wired, but guess what is the key to learning? Y'all tell me. Repetition is the key to learning, right? So 
here's what we do. We get repetitive. We say the same slogans. We say the same things. And as you learn it and you speak it and as you teach it, they grasp it. Let's talk about number four. Number four is get repetitive. Do you see what I did there? You see that? All right. I thought that was funny. None of y'all did think that was funny. All right, fine. Okay. I'm a preacher, not a comedian, but get repetitive. You don't have to be original. You can use the same things that are important to you and just over and over talk about them and make sure that they're landing. It's important. This is how you pass the torch. Now, very quickly, here's a big question to ask. What person or persons has God put in my life so that I can pass the torch to them, spiritually speaking? And I begin to think about who that list might look like. I have three daughters and I have one son-in-law. I know that those four, and then I think about my wife, and I am called to be a, a leader in my home with her. And then I think about the people that have become a part of my family because I married into that family. And so suddenly my circle gets wider and wider, and more and more people are out there to be involved with, connected with, and influence and help if at, if at all possible. These things can be the same for you. Nieces nephews, young men or young women that you don't know how they got in your life. You just know that they are there and you get involved in passing that torch to them. This is how you apply. You apply by asking yourself the question, who, what, and how, who is close and who is interested and what do I actually want to share and how do I actually begin to share that? Let me just give you a couple of quick examples on answering the how Here's the answering the how. Pray for them in front of them. You know, as you leave, send them via text once a month and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Important days for them, you know, hard times, the, the first day of school, the, the difficulty that they're having in a difficult time at work or whatever. You text them, you speak to them and begin to speak their language and talk to them. Do that on holidays. Take them to lunch, go to listen, not to speak, but go to listen to them. And eventually you'll have that open door. Give them a gift, whether that's physical or verbal, it doesn't matter. Just get out there and begin to see who God has placed in your life and who you can pass that torch to. Very quickly, I'm going to end with this. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, but it is a very interesting movie. Because there's a man whose life is kind of empty because he loses a wife. It's unfortunate and sad. And right off the very beginning of the movie, uh, it's called Gran Torino. Now, just because I'm speaking about it doesn't mean I'm advocating that you watch the movie. It's, it's, it's a rated R movie. Uh, you know, I'm not saying, hey, it gets the seal of approval. Watch it with your children. I'm not saying that, okay? I want to be very clear. But in this story, it's a very, very unlikely mentoring story. There is a, a man who has a neighbor kid who is from a totally different culture. He is uh, from Laos. And uh, this is a difficult situation from the very beginning, but as they go along, they realize that the young man needs a father figure in his life, and the older man needs someone that will bring him purpose and meaning, and he wants to share some things, but even all of his family is somebody that he doesn't really want to share with. He unlikely finds this young man who needs his help. He begins to pay for tools and teach him how to do things with his own hands. It is a very interesting thing to watch the inheritance that he gives him in a physical way, but much more powerfully, the spiritual inheritance that he gives him as he talks about this is how you become a man. And this is what you do when you're surrounded by other people. And this is how you do the things at your job that you're supposed to do. And he goes down all the way through and it's very, very powerful to watch it all happen. It's called Gran Torino. And it's just the story of a mentor, of a mentor who passes the torch to another person. And so as we look at this passage of scripture from the book of, from the story of Elijah, we grasp and understand that here, as Elijah is at the end of his life, He's walking side by side with a man who he's passing the torch to. And they lighten one another's burdens and they double the joy that they are having together as they go about doing God's work in the world. For most of us, 
We know that our life without purpose seems meaningless and dull and kind of flatlined. I don't know if you guys understand what I mean, but in our world, listen, in our world, we have tons and tons of people. I would say the vast majority of people that are walking around in a flatlined emotional state. They don't even really get that excited about the positives that happen because they know that it's very, very temporary and not meaningful. But in our world, if we begin to pass the torch and pour into others and mentor other people for the important things, we begin to find purpose and it is a powerful thing that will change you and me and their life as well. It's a very, very great thing. Heavenly Father, as we begin to look around in our lives, I pray that you would reveal to us those people that you have brought into our life and our world, that we can pass the torch to them. Encourage us, Lord. Give us faith, but not only faith. Give us courage as we begin to reach out outside of ourselves and pour into the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand?
this morning. Amen. I don't know why you wanted to make sure I gave you your lyric sheet. You didn't look at it a single time. <laughs> it's a comfort thing. It's a comfort object or something. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, thank you all so much for being here, being a part of things today. May God bless you. Y'all stay safe. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you back here in the next couple of weeks. I hope that you are having a great, great weekend and I hope it continues. Uh, you guys be careful out there. Make sure and stay safe. And we're going to end the way that we always do. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you. Love you guys. Take care. <laughs>